Today, November 8th, is Indigenous Veterans Day. And this week, November 5th to 11th, is Treaties Recognition Week. Events like this are an opportune time for conversations about Indigenous history and what we can learn for our present and future. Returning to What's Up Welland is Carl Dockstader, Indigenous Cultural Consultant at Niagara College's Indigenous Education Centre, here to share his insights, experiences, and encouragement to continue learning together. So, let's get to it with Carl. Back with me today for an episode that relates to Indigenous Veterans Day and Treaties Recognition Week is dear friend of the show, Carl Dockstader, Indigenous Cultural Consultant for Niagara Colleges or with Niagara Colleges Indigenous Education Centre. Carl, thank you for making a return visit to What's Up Welland. Paul, I'm so delighted to be here. So this has been an episode I've been looking forward to because it started as a conversation with you, it started as a conversation with your sister, Jennifer Dockstader. There's still going to be an inevitable conversation where the both of you come on the show and speak together. Thank you for coming on today. I don't, I don't know if the podcast can handle both of us at the at the same time. I don't know if you can handle that much energy in the room. I don't altogether. know that I can handle it. <laughs> let's get that ball rolling and All see right, what happens. Let's, let's make it happen for your listeners. But Carl, it's... This is an episode I, and in Mark's absence, we were very looking forward to having because we know that November is a time for Remembrance Day. Indigenous Veterans Day also happens in November, and I don't know that it gets the same, well, it doesn't get the same attention that Remembrance Day does, but what should people know about Indigenous Veterans Day as a day to recognize what our indigenous veterans have done for us. Yeah, and that, that's that's the key. Is is I, I'm not sure that the recognition is there, and and I don't assign any blame for that. I, I think it's important to know that indigenous people have have served alongside Canadians and Americans defending Turtle Island. There, there's a long history of that. My my own father served in in Vietnam, and and I always love to point out as as he's very proud to point out that he wasn't he wasn't drafted. He chose to to enlist. He understood that there was a threat, and and you know there's things we know now about Vietnam that they didn't know back in the 60s. But but no, in in uh, in 1960 68 he said, "I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna serve my country and I'm gonna defend." He, he's a Buffalo Buffalo kid, you know, an Oneida Buffalo kid at the time. And he said, "I want to I want to do my part to to help out here. This is part of my responsibility as an Indigenous person." And and so he's one of many. There's a long history of Indigenous people who are, who are proud service people and who have who have made those sacrifices. And so I, I do think it's important to to know that. And but but I also commend I commend yourself and and other leaders that are that are making a point to highlight this. But but especially the Indigenous veterans. So what exactly is, we know how to conduct ourselves on November 11th, Remembrance Day. How do people conduct themselves? How do they pay respect on this day, November 8th? Again, I think it's all about education and it's all about learning. Uh, by the time that this podcast will have aired, we'll be two days removed from having had a living library event at Niagara College. I'm, I'm very honored to to talk to a Mr. Tom Dockstader. That, that's my dad. Uh, he's he's going to be coming to the college as well as uh, Ronald Cook Jr., who who's also a veteran. And I'll be I'll be talking to two veterans at the college as as this is part of the living library. It'll it'll be cataloged. It'll be kept electronically. So. 
this will be available for, for people to enjoy afterwards. Um, but that conversation with real veterans, veterans from different eras that served at different times. Uh, Ron, Ron Cook Jr. served in, in the Persian War, the Gulf War, uh, uh, different newer, newer conflicts, the Afghan War, uh, operation, um, a, a number of different operations. And, and then my dad being, being a Vietnam vet. In the pre-conversations with them, what, what really struck me is, is that Ron Cook Jr., coming from a long line of veterans, his, his uh, parents and uncles were service people. His daughter serves in the Navy. He wants that tradition to continue. And what's interesting is, is when I talk to my dad, he frames it a little bit differently in, in that he, he came from an era where they served so that hopefully some of us wouldn't, wouldn't have to. So it's, it's going to be really neat to see that contrast. Uh, but, but also for, for listeners of, of this program right now, that, that's what I think is important is, is that, and, and when we're talking about veterans, right? Like they're, they're not a monolith. Non-Indigenous veterans are not a monolith monolithic group, depending on the war that they've served in, the different ways that they that they serve their country. It's important to know those stories, to share those stories. And, and I'm honored that, that I'll have the opportunity to talk directly to, to two First Nations veterans. As far as sharing stories, having grown up with someone who served, was that type of storytelling common in your household or because of the pains of serving in a war? Was that storytelling that was very much kept, we can focus on other aspects of our family history, of our cultural history, but that's a very sensitive area that is best not gone into. And having the opportunity to speak at the college, were you given an opportunity to hear stories that you had never heard before? Yeah. there. So when it, when it comes to growing up in, in a household and being the son of a veteran, and particularly Vietnam, uh, and and again, without getting into the gory details, I mean, knowing knowing that my father, who wouldn't mind me mentioning publicly that that he suffered from PTSD, something that's not well understood, it was complex for us as children to to understand something that adults don't even understand well. Um, but but also also acknowledging that I think. I think we we grew up in it's safe to say a pretty a pretty politically progressive household. So we sort of have some strong views around war and the need for war, but then also having having to balance that out that that you can you can be against the war but not against the warrior. Um uh, but, but also lastly to, to find that piece of respect. And so it, it, it took us some time. Like, like I remember younger experiences with, with my dad where it, he had struggled more with resolving the things that he had seen and, and done in, in his service. And then now getting to a point where, where he's going to come and he's going to talk openly at the college and he's going to be able to, to share those stories and put it in a good place and, and know that, that what, what he did and the sacrifice that, that he made, what he gave up in terms of his mental health, his, his physical health in terms of Agent Orange that was used during during Vietnam he he paid a price for for all of these things but also knowing that that he can put his head down on the pillow well at the end of the night knowing that he made a better life for himself and he made a better life for my sister and I and and for his grandkids moving moving forward which I think is what a lot of veterans want to know is is that that pain that they put forward that sacrifice that they made is is it's not in vain it's it's for something with regards to that sacrifice that veterans put forward especially Indigenous veterans, when they returned, regardless of the conflict that they served in, when they returned, the honor, the recognition, the respect that was bestowed upon other veterans was not equally bestowed upon Indigenous veterans. Access to services and supports wasn't as readily available 
to them. And whether that was an experience of your father's or not, just in that, in that broader lens, what has that experience been like for Indigenous veterans? And if you can, what were some of the losses they experienced in coming back? Yeah, and we that's something that, that my dad's quick to point out is that Viet, Vietnam veterans in the United States in particular, but we've seen it with with veterans that have served in Canada as well, are, are already more susceptible to, to a number of, of high risk factors, uh, be, you know, be it houselessness or, or succumbing to different levels of addiction, uh, to, you know, different ways of coping with the mental health and, and the PTSD that I alluded to to earlier. And then when you compound that with with the horrors of residential school and the residual effects of the 60s scoop and the ongoing millennial scoop and and just the general imbalance on the simplest terms the general imbalance and in inequity and inequality between indigenous and non-indigenous people it this this is difficult veterans are put in a very difficult position generally and then being an indigenous veteran takes sort of the worst parts of being indigenous and the worst parts of being a veteran even under the most ideal circumstances and, and creates very difficult circumstances for for veterans and and it's 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 tough uh it's it's tough to hear about it's tough to know what to do um i I hope that the public uh is you know in a place and and i think the public generally is in a place where they want to see veterans taken care of for that sacrifice that that they've made but again having indigenous veterans day is is a time to sort of acknowledge that yeah there's there's another layer of complexity that, that goes with this you spoke earlier uh you used the word education before and when we spoke last time, so much of that conversation hinged around education. As non-Indigenous individuals are growing that education, as we are paying more attention to truth and reconciliation, how does acknowledging Indigenous Veterans Day, paying closer attention to the meanings of Treaties Recognition Week, how does that further the, the work necessary for reconciliation? Yeah, I think that there, there's always, there's always this ongoing conversation. And so I, I think of, um, I think of, uh, uh, orange, orange crosswalks and, uh, that, that happen in cities. And there's always this conversation that, well, is that just virtue signaling that the city is, you know, doing something? I mean, it's just really a little bit of paint that's moving forward or, or, um, is, is this the city trying to raise awareness in the profile of, of indigenous people? And so for, for symbolic measures, I do think that they're important. I do think that the orange crosswalks are, are important as long as they're done in consultation with, with actual indigenous people in, in indigenous communities. Uh, in in the cities, but but when it comes to things like Indigenous Veterans Day, what I think is really important is is these are these are actual people that that we're elevating. Like like learn learn the story. If you're listening to this podcast right now, uh, learn the story of any Indigenous veteran that you didn't know about before you listened to this to this podcast, and it, it's going to humanize my people. It's it's going to humanize First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and and it's going to provide them with with a voice and a presence that may not have have been there. If you're already familiar with some Indigenous veterans, maybe take the opportunity to to educate some of your friends be that champion in your workplace that, that says hey it's november 8th you know listen listen to the what's up well in podcast they have some some great ideas for for what to do uh maybe we can look into the story of, of ron cook jr or or of tom Dockstader or or of different people that are that are out there different veterans that have that have served because again there's great stories and i think that sometimes sometimes racism and the harm that can come upon our people is just as simple as as we're not being seen we're not being seen as the same way because we're not necessarily in the same social circles that's not necessarily anybody's fault but again an opportunity like this is uh, on a day like this is a chance to elevate indigenous people 
to really see us as as being on the same level as other people. And again, I think we do a pretty good job with veterans in in Western societies, including Canada. So let's let's just extend that circle of love and care to Indigenous veterans specifically on this day. So we are speaking on, as you said, this day, Indigenous Veterans Day. But this day falls within Treaties Recognition Week. What is Treaties? So I'm coming at you, Carl, with a double-handed question because that's my style. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love the curveball. Recognition Week. But then also, because you have the association with the college's Indigenous Education Center, how does such a week, what is the impact or significance of such a week at the the two centers yeah so the again treaty treaties recognition week is is a really special opportunity to look at the treaty agreements between first nations peoples and uh and and metis and, and inuit and canadian settler societies uh and in and in particular in in ontario i like i like the treaties and and again to to try to make it as, as high level as possible at least as a starting point the idea that that it's important to remember that treaties happen between two separate nations and i think sometimes because of the historical dominance of canada over indigenous peoples through through uh, forced systems like the recon- the uh, residential school system i think that, that that sometimes there's an intuitive uh, way of looking at indigenous people as less than or a subset of of the canadian population or or even on a government level almost like a municipality uh, no, you know no knock to people that work for municipalities. I love municipalities, <laughs> but uh, there there may be a way of looking at them as less than. And, and Treaty Recognition Week is is a reminder that everything everything that we have shared collectively in terms of our wealth in Western societies here on Turtle Island is a product of those treaty relations. And so, I mean, we we can get as far into the weeds as as you want. I mean, I love talking about the two wampum and the one dish with one spoon. I love talking about the treaty, the different treaties of Niagara in in the territory, and and for sure. Watch the Indigenous Education Instagram page because we'll we'll have little education pieces up throughout the course of of that week. Um, but but I I think that it, again it's important just to to go back to that nation to nation. You, you don't have tre- you and I can't have a treaty between us, Paul. No matter how much we we like each other, no matter how friendly we're getting in this now growing series of podcasts. But but our the the government of Canada for sure can can have a treaty with my government, the the traditional Oneida Longhouse people. Okay, if maybe going a quarter of the way into the weeds as far as what are the significant treaties here in Niagara then let's let's start there yeah i mean there there's been there's been a real growing consensus to talk about one dish one spoon in in this territory and that that's uh it's actually a wampum not a not a treaty uh but in the time of, of conflict, I mean, you know, let's, let's see how much I can do this without, without getting into a, a lengthy history lesson here. Um, there, there's, there were, it was a period of conflict between French and English people where Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people were used somewhat, somewhat as, somewhat as a proxy. And so again, without unpacking all of the Napoleonic Wars and the Seven Years War and the French and Indian War, what, what had really happened is that Anishinaabe people and Haudenosaunee people, according to some Anishinaabe, uh, me being Haudenosaunee and according to some Hadun, uh, Anishinaabe elders and knowledge keepers that I've talked to, there was this period in the early 1700s where Anishinaabe people and Hadun 
Haudenosaunee people said that we're, we're going to have to establish peace on our own, on our own terms and a framework for agreement outside of what's happening with this, um, changing cultural values, uh, that are being brought over by Western settler societies. And so what my understanding is that in, in 1701, there was a peace that was negotiated between Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people based on the framework of the one dish, one spoon. At the same time, in, in 1701, the Treaty of Nanfan between, between the English or the Treaty of Albany between the English and the Haudenosaunee was, was negotiated and the Treaty of Montreal between the French and the Haudenosaunee were, were negotiated. And, and the idea is that at that point in time, the Haudenosaunee were, were really trying to instill the value that in spite of our individual relationships with, with one another, we ultimately have a relationship with, with the land. It doesn't matter if you cut down the last tree, Paul, or if I cut down the last tree or if somebody across the street cuts it down. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. So if we don't acknowledge that we have a shared responsibility towards, towards this land, then, then we're all kind of going to go down together. And, and so in, in the early 1700s, that's, that's when that idea was introduced. There were different, uh, friendship treaties and, and all kinds of, uh, treaties that were introduced throughout the course of the 1700s. But really when, when the Royal Proclamation happened in 1763, King George the third, uh, had said at the conclusion of the French and Indian Wars, so the, the French had sort of taken, taken a backseat at that point. The English had become the dominant, um, uh, group of settler societies at that point. King George the, the King George the third said that we're going to use the, the treaty negotiating process to negotiate with First Nations people uh, made the Royal Proclamation in 1763. And then just down the road in Niagara-on-the-Lake in 1764, hundreds of First Nations came together with thousands of representatives and gathered, followed traditional protocol and established the 1764 Treaty of Niagara, which which really created a sort of framework for future treaties, not just for, for Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe and other First Nations that were involved, but really kind of set that precedent that, that we were, we're we're going to have to negotiate. We're going to have to have a conversation about, about your settler society values and our values as, as First Nations and other indigenous groups of people. And we're going to have to have conversations and negotiate, which, which is what modern day treaty processes are, is, is for sure you have a treaty, but the treaty is also a framework for, for a relationship and, and what that's like moving forward. So I, I always like to go back to the one dish, one spoon, because I believe that, that we draw in terms of our negotiating and our values as Haudenosaunee people. And again, not, not being a, necessarily a treaty expert or, or, or a knowledge keeper. I mean, if you hear something different from an elder, please, please defer to them. Uh, but my understanding of this is that we should talk about this one dish, one spoon. We should talk about it as being drawn from the land. We do have a sense of environmental stewardship and responsibility that, that is inherent in, in that treaty relationship, at least in this territory, if not in extended territories. And so for that, if, if people only sort of knew about the one dish, one spoon in this territory i think i think that's a safe starting point so carl as we are winding down this is this is coming out during treaties recognition week it's coming out after an event will have taken place at the college and i'm going to make sure that links are are included for the um, indigenous education center site because it is it truly is a wealth of of information and this is not the only event that you will be having through this year. As we wind down, the last word, sir, is yours. What, what should people know about the center? What should people know about accessing information online, attending events, just anything with regards to this week and, and going, and going forwards? 
if you're an indigenous person listening to this podcast, then, then I want, I want you to be proud and to take great pride in these weeks and to make sure that, that we're, we, we know, we know as indigenous people that we are not a product of the harm that's been inflicted upon us. But in fact, we reflect the strength and resilience that, that we've shown to come, to come to the other side of this. And so hang, hang your head high and make sure that, that people know that you're indigenous and, and now is the time to celebrate that. If you're a non-indigenous person listening to, to this podcast, then, then I'm, I'm asking you to, to help me celebrate indigenous people, find, find indigenous people that are in leadership positions, head, head to places like, like Niagara College, which, which I believe is, is on that path to working towards being a safe place for indigenous people. Come, come to places like the city of Welland that, that has podcasts that, that amplify indigenous voices like, like the podcast is doing right now. Figure out how to use your power to help indigenous people. If you're a non-indigenous person, figure out what power you have. Look yourself in the mirror and go, what, what can I do? What, what do I, are, you know, am I, am I an employer that could maybe find an indigenous cause to contribute to? Do, do I have a workplace that maybe could affect indigenous people where we need to have some conversations about, about what happens? Am I, am I in a social setting? Do I attend a church where maybe I could tell them about a veteran that, that I'd heard about? Uh, do, do I participate in, in a community group, a, a run club? Uh, you know, there are any number of different ways to, to sort of look at, at your spheres of influence. Um, but, but just, just know that indigenous people, uh, indigenous people being in prominent positions in this territory benefits everybody, not, not just indigenous people. So help me celebrate us in a good way, uh, which, which is exactly what you've done today. So thank you for using your power in, in a good way, Paul. I'm honored to, to sit behind this microphone and contribute to this, this great podcast just past a hundred episodes, by the way. Congratulations. Carl, thank you so much for for joining me today, joining us because this is a community that that listens. And thank you. We I, I'm already looking forward to when you get to come back and we get to have another conversation. Big time now, go Swagwag. A very sincere thanks to Carl for returning and speaking with me today about Treaties Recognition Week and Indigenous Veterans Day. Between the history that we discussed, between the stories that Carl shared about his father as a veteran, it really reiterates how much there is to learn about Indigenous history and culture, and that this learning can start with conversations, borrowing resources from our libraries, attending events in our community. Uh, As we talked about, a great place for information is the college's Indigenous Education Centre website, which is included in today's show notes. If if you are interested in past conversations that What's Up Welland has had with guests from our Indigenous community, please find them on engagewelland.ca slash podcast. And that's where you can keep going for all of our future episodes, especially those that will include Carl and other guests from our Indigenous community. So until then, thank you for listening.